Hello, I'm Al Deschino, and welcome to the 31st episode of Of Interest. Today is Saturday, April 24th, 2021, and this week, I'm going to share an interesting idea about the dangers of vulnerability, share an interesting article about how women aren't the problem, and continuing our interesting study of Pilgrim's Progress by exploring the fifth chapter, where Christian meets simple, sloth, and presumption. Now, if you're listening to this, then you probably already know that I've been working for some months now on a startup for an online Christian ministry to gamers and streamers in the online community. Well, let me tell you, it's been like drinking from a fire hose lately. There is so much to learn, so many different venues, so much to do to try to get it right. If you listen to my testimony series, then you know that God has kind of designed me to do exactly this, but it's a lot of work. All the creative stuff like graphics, emojis, logos, everything else that needs to be designed. The camera, lighting, sound equipment needs to be set up properly. Plus there's all the software and the hardware and that's not even counting having to write the scripts, the posts, the all the ideas that actually, you know, create value for people to watch. But I love it. And it's been amazing to see what God has been doing with it. Let me tell you a couple stories. I think my favorite story comes from someone who primarily listens to the podcasts. He was introduced to me by a friend and a listener. And let me tell you, this guy has some awesome and some deep questions. For some weeks now, I've been able to not only connect with him through the podcast, but we've done some Zoom calls, some texting. It is such a joy to actually watch in real time as God works in his life, metamorphosizing him into something he's never been before. And I get to be part of that. Another story comes from a recent Twitch stream where a Muslim man from Indonesia started watching and following my streams and challenged me to play a game, a level he designed. It was super late for him when I was playing, but he stayed on to see how I would do. And while he was watching, a few of my more stalwart supporters, amazing people from Germany, they kept chatting him up and talking to him and getting to know him and the other people that were on there. The next phase of this online ministry, after we've connected through the game, is to invite them to join a private Discord server, where we can all have safe conversations and chat during the week. Well, this man joined up, and he's now part of a like-minded community of gamers and people interested in video games, and it has a whole bunch of Christians in it. That's amazing to me. And that's just a couple stories. I can't tell you how awesome it's been to get such positive response from my Devos and Chill streams where I do a little Bible study before we play games, or how the podcast has grown to have thousands of downloads per month, or all the esports and nerd-based ministry connections I've been making, or the fact that despite all the COVID limitations and ministry shutdowns, I've been able to do some real preaching, teaching, counseling, evangelism, apologetics with real people. It is so exciting. And maybe the most exciting thing, I think, is the fact that so many people that I'm connecting with would never, ever, ever set foot in a church. They wouldn't come to an event, they aren't at the park, they're not in the coffee shops, they don't have friends to invite them to things. They're at home, on their computers, watching and playing video games, and then, for a couple hours a day, multiple times per week, I have the direct opportunity to go inside their homes, through their computers, through their TVs, and talk to them directly. And they talk back. It is honestly exhilarating. And to be honest, a little daunting. 
But doing this ministry is almost like, and maybe forgive the comparison here, like when I discovered Skechers, you know, the shoes. Yeah, I've tried a bunch of different brands of shoes over the years, but when I finally put on a pair of Skechers, I knew that I would be wearing that brand forever. They are so comfortable. That's what this ministry feels like. I know what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. I love that other people are connecting with it. The only weird part right now is the adventure of trying to raise my own support so I can concentrate on doing this ministry full time. I've never had to do that before. Usually, I just kind of keep my mouth shut and hope that people help out. But in the last couple of weeks, I've had multiple people tell me that if God is working through this ministry and it's something that he wants you to do, asking the body of Christ to join you is what you're supposed to be doing. One minister was actually pretty funny. He said, you know, listen, they're getting the easier side of the equation. You do all the ministry work. All they have to do is cut a check and then they get credit for being part of it. I've never really been a money guy, but I know there is some truth to that. Some people are just God-gifted money makers. It's what they do. And God gives them that gift so that they can support folks like me who have lots of passion, but no money. It's a team effort. Now, before we kick off the podcast here, I want to actually tell you an interesting story that happened to me this week. For the past couple weeks, as I've been banging away at this online ministry, there's been a secular nonprofit agency, one dedicated to rescuing parrots, actually, that has been putting me through the interview process. It was going really, really well. I was 99% sure that I was going to get that job. I wasn't sure what it meant for the ministry stuff, but you got to pay the bills. And so I, you know, put my resume out and I was going through the process. But I got this email. And they said, okay, we're going to have the final talk. This is where we're going to make our decision. Uh, And they came and I sat down and we were on Zoom and they said no. But listen to this. They said that they loved my proposal, loved my ideas, my skills, my attitude, everything else. They were excited to have me on board and then said, but we're not going to hire you. They said, Al, we think you'd be great for this job and we really do want to hire you. But we also know that Your real heart is for ministry. That's your passion. And we don't want to get in the way of that. We don't don't think it would be right for us to distract you from pursuing that passion by hiring you. Honestly, I was floored. I've been praying and chewing on whether or not God wanted me to get a secular job or pursue ministry. And I just had a totally secular organization say to me, God has a different plan for you. Go follow that path. Trust him. I mean, they didn't say that, but that's totally what they said. Which is why I recently did something I've never done before. I sent out a letter of support asking for monthly donations. That was not easy for me to do. I've always shied away from the money part of ministry. You see, one of the main accusations against preachers and churches is that they're all about the money. We get accused of manipulating people's emotions for money, selling religion, all that other stuff. And so, trying to take a page out of the Apostle Paul's way of doing things, I just kind of kept as far away from the financial stuff as I possibly could. And I didn't talk about money, except for when teaching on tithing and generosity. But now, if I'm going to actually try to do this online ministry, I need to listen to those pastors and ministers who've been telling me to just get out there and tell the church what's going on and give them the opportunity to support. So that's what I did. So, please pray for me. Pray that I'm sensitive to God's will. Pray that I create content that's not only interesting to folks online, but honors God and creates a bridge to the gospel. 
pray that people I'm connecting with online will feel loved and they'll understand that God loves them and they'll not only want to listen to what I'm up to, but connect on the Discord server and then come to Saving Faith. And please pray that God will motivate people to see what I'm up to, believing that God is at work there and be willing to lend some support. Thank you so much for all the support you've already shown me. You, just taking the time to listen to this podcast, is already such an encouragement to me. And for those who have shared it with their friends, come to the Twitch streams, even sent me a little financial help, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are the best. All right, let's get on with the show. In the last episode, I talked about the importance of vulnerability, how a person's willingness to share their heart, put their lives on display, take the risk to show others their victories, their flaws, their pain, even their failures, is to me the foundation of every meaningful relationship we will ever have. But while I championed the importance of being honest and open with people, I didn't talk about the risks, the dangers of being vulnerable. Which is kind of in the name, right? The literal definition of vulnerable means to be open to attack. Now in church, in every church I've ever been to, whether as an attender or a pastor, everyone is always talking about how important it is that we share our burdens with one another, how important honesty is, how we should confess our sins to one another, that there's power in sharing our struggles, that the people around you are broken too, so it'll be okay. Please tell us what's going on. In fact, that's one reason that people like small churches, or if they're in a big church, why they like being part of a small home group. Remember the days when we could go over to people's houses and have home group? Yeah, those were good times. Good times. But here's what they don't tell you. Some people hate vulnerability. Inside the church, outside the church, at work, at home, everywhere, you're going to be told that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to cry. It's okay to share what's wrong. It's okay to admit defeat and ask for help. But you're going to bump into people that will absolutely hate you for doing it. And if they have their way, they will make sure that no one around them will ever show a sign of weakness, fragility, sadness, or discontent ever again. For them, weakness of any kind needs to be punished, snuffed out, destroyed. Even if that means destroying the weak people in the process. Now, does that sound too harsh? Sound unrealistic? Take a minute to consider why you don't share more with people. Take a minute to just ask yourself, when you go out to church, meet new people, go to work, maybe even around your parents, your spouse, your family, why you sometimes pretend? Why there are no-go zones, unshareable things, things buried so far in your heart that only, the only people that know about them are you and Jesus? It's because you've experienced what it's like to make yourself vulnerable to a person who hates vulnerability, and they punished you for doing it. You bumped into someone who has bought into that satanic belief that weakness, illness, sadness, brokenness, grief, exhaustion, depression, and lack are sins. They're not. No one in the Bible was ever condemned by God or Jesus for being weak or sick or tired or crippled or poor or downcast or orphaned or widowed or unattractive or uncoordinated or afraid. In fact, 
God sought out those people, especially so he could show his glory through them. Think of the book of Judges. Think of all the prophets. Think of the people that were attracted to Jesus. Think of what kind of men Jesus chose to be the leaders in his church. Think of Paul coming to Corinth. He'd just come from Athens, which was extremely emotional for him. He was all alone, exhausted from travel, sore, sick. No one was being reached by the gospel. The most popular people in town mocked him publicly, wasted his time, laughed him out of town. And when he came into Corinth, he was tired, discouraged, weak, afraid, and quite frankly, ready to quit the ministry. But it was that weakness that God used to plant the Corinthian church. Think of God's plan of salvation. The life of Christ is, as Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. Our salvation wasn't ushered in with strength and power and popularity. It was a nearly friendless, falsely accused, mocked, beaten to almost a death man hanging on a cross meant to show how strong Rome was, how strong the Sanhedrin was, and how weak Jesus was. We are saved because the strongest of the strong, God himself, became a weak, cursed servant for our sakes. You see, the reason that you have your guard up is because you've bumped into someone who doesn't believe that. But that person is a hypocrite. Do you know why that person hurt you? Why they got angry when you shared something personal? Do you know why they used it against you? Why whenever someone starts crying, they respond with mocking? It isn't because they hate you, not really. It's because they hate themselves. To be a hypocrite is to be a play actor. It means to wear a mask, to pretend. They looked in the mirror and they hated what they saw. So they found a mask, a strong mask, a tough mask, and they strapped it on as hard as they could so they could pretend that was their real face. But every time they see weakness, every time they see vulnerability, they're reminded of their own facade, how much they hate themselves, and they're forced to either deal with themselves or try to force everyone else in their lives, everyone else in the world, to put on a mask too. Then everyone can pretend along with them. In a word, they're insecure. That's why they hurt you when you shared. And you know that's true. Because hopefully you've experienced the exact opposite. You've experienced what it's like to share something personal, something difficult with someone else, and they gave you love, acceptance, kindness, compassion, grace, help. And do you know why they did that? It's because they've learned that their weaknesses aren't sin. They're actually the bridge that connects them to others. They've learned that wearing a mask just makes everything worse. You can't see life properly. You're always worried it's going to crack or slip. And so they just gave up wearing one. And they're just who God made them to be, warts and all. In a word, they are secure with themselves. They're people that have opened up their hearts to God and have said the words of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And when God showed them their true selves, all the stuff they didn't want to look at, instead of turning away, instead of putting on the mask, they repeated Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your steadfast love. Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then God said, in the words of Ezekiel 36, I will. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And that forgiven, cleansed soul is now unafraid. The other person, that angry person who hates vulnerability, they are deeply afraid all the time. But that forgiven, cleansed, renewed, soft-hearted soul, that gift of God to you, this person wants nothing more than for you to be like that too. Which is why they don't run from vulnerability. They aren't afraid of it. They aren't offended by it. For them, it is an act of love, of trust. And the most important step a person can take, because a heart like that will inevitably lead them to the feet of Jesus. This week's interesting article is entitled, Women Are Not the Problem, by Melissa Kruger, and it's found on the gospelcoalition.org blog. This is an awesome article, and I'm so glad I finally got around to it. It was written in February, after all that horrible news about Ravi Zacharias' abuses and infidelities came out, and it touches something that I think a lot of Christian men have gotten wrong. A lot of Christian churches have gotten wrong. So, yes, I'm sort of talking to the men right now, but I'm also talking to all the women who believe this stuff too, because there are a lot more in church than you think that believe that women are the problem. The premise of the article is that one instinctual reaction that a lot of Christians might have so that no one ends up like Rabbi Zacharias. She says this, I'll quote, While it is abundantly clear how Zacharias' actions directly harmed these particular women, I also fear how his actions will affect women in churches all over the world as upright men seek to avoid following in his footsteps. It is wise to give careful thought to our ways and commendable to be circumspect in our actions. However, I'm concerned that well-intentioned guardrails have the potential to harm women. Pastors and church leaders, whatever actions you take to fight for purity, it's important to remember women are not the problem. And you might be thinking, yeah, of course women aren't the problem. Ravi was the problem. Porn was the problem. Whatever, whatever else was the problem. But let me challenge you to consider that while you may believe that, there may be some subconscious things that you might be doing that actually make it seem like you believe that women really are the problem. So she gives us a, a few things to think about as we consider how we try to set up our lives, set up our churches to, to not blow up like Ravi. And like so many other people have. The number one thing she says uh, is that Christians need to draw near to God, not draw away from women. Let me quote her again. Fighting sins begins by setting our affections on God, spending time in his presence, meditating on his word, and considering his character. This is daily work. This is heart work. This is hard work. Withdrawing from women isn't the solution. In fact, it's part of the problem. 
It wasn't good for Adam to be alone in the garden, and it's not good for men to be without women in the church. Men need mothers, sisters, daughters in the faith, just as women need brothers, fathers, and sons. We are a family, a beautiful body made up of many parts. We're vitally connected to one another, and every part is essential for us to function properly. Avoidance isn't the remedy. Drawing near to God is. This one hit me personally. I'm one of those guys who believed in the Billy Graham rule, where you should never be alone with a woman that isn't your wife. And while I do believe that advice may have been good for Billy Graham, I don't think it's great advice for most everyone else. You see, implicit in that rule is the idea that women are always dangerous and men are uncontrollable. Yes, we need to be careful in our relationship. I'm not going to get into all the ways that we should be careful to keep everything safe and above board with the opposite sex, but I'm more and more convinced that the Billy Graham rule is an overcorrection that has actually caused some damage with the relationship between women and well-meaning pastors and men in general. Now, the second point Kruger brings up is that Christians need to know their enemy, and it's not women. Now, that one's fairly easy to understand, right? We have lust in our hearts. That's our problem, not the other person. If we're tempted to do something improper with someone, that's demonic temptation. That's our inset sin, right? That's not the other person. Having impure thoughts about an attractive person while walking down the sidewalk behind them isn't their problem. It's ours and Satan's and sin's. Let me read a bit from this section. If you're attracted to someone in an improper way, Practice wisdom in your interactions. Flee all forms of sexual immorality. Avoid the enticement of an adulteress. However, don't make blanket rules that prevent relationships or interactions with all women. Women are not your enemy. They traveled with Jesus and provided for him out of their means. Jesus loved Mary and Martha. He ate with them. He taught them. He wept with them. He welcomed and esteemed their ministry. Women can encourage and bless your ministry. Absolutely. I can absolutely attest to the fact that some of the most wonderful people in my life, most of the most wonderful people in my life that have been most supportive to my family, to my ministry, have been awesome women of God. I would not be where I am without them. I might be dead on the side of the road without the awesome women of God in my life. Now, I'm going to leave the rest of the article for you to read, but I highly encourage you to do that and give it a little meditation time too. But what are your thoughts? I'd love for you to join the live stream Q&A chat show this Sunday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Notice it's a different time than usual. It's at noon now. Remember to send me your questions in advance through the Contact Me button on the website, or let me hear your voice through the SpeakPipe page, or join the new Discord server and ask questions there. Or just save them up and ask them during the show. I would love to hear what you're thinking about this subject. The last part of these podcasts is an interesting study on the classic book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Remember, there's a link to this book for free on my blog if you want to read along. 
This week we're looking at chapter 5 called Christians Saluted by the Three Shining Ones, but really we're only going to talk about the first paragraph. Right after Christian's amazing experience with seeing the cross, losing his burden, getting new clothes, mark on his forehead, a roll with a seal, he doesn't walk very far before he comes across three men who have left the straight and narrow way and lay down on the side of it to sleep. Christian, well warned about all the dangers of the road and the importance of the journey, he tries to shake them awake and they roll and they grumble and he tries to explain, guys, you're in trouble. This is not a good place to sleep. If you stay here, you're going to be swallowed up by the roaring lion that's prowling around this place. Now, the roaring lion represents Satan, you know, temptation, the enemy doing all he can to ruin a person's faith and destroy their relationship with Jesus. But these guys want none of it. It's possible that these men have been through the wicked gate. It's possible they've even seen the cross. Maybe they are saved. But now, they're just lying there. Not only asleep, but shackled so they couldn't run if they wanted to. What's interesting here is why. The first sleeping man is named Simple. Simple here means someone who isn't very smart. He lacks understanding, lacks study, lacks knowledge. And so, when he looks around, he doesn't see any problems. There could be signs of danger everywhere, like, for example, the shackles on his own ankles, but he's too ignorant to heed any of them. He represents those Christians that refuse to grow past their basic knowledge of God, scripture, theology. The only stories they know are the ones that they learned in Sunday school. They, they don't bother to memorize scripture. In fact, they actually get upset when you start to tell them that their beliefs about God are wrong. Even though the Bible is very, very, very clear that they really are wrong, they're like a student that really enjoys kindergarten, that enjoys it so much that when they're given the chance to graduate and go to grade one, refuses and just stays in kindergarten. Year after year, their body grows, they reach puberty, they get tall, they develop adult bodies, but they stay in kindergarten. And when they're told that they need to move on, they say no. In kindergarten, everything's easy. You do what you want. You play where you want. The teacher is super nice. But when you hit grade one, suddenly the teacher starts telling you that there are right and wrong answers. They start assigning you work you don't really want to do. And it just gets worse after that. They've seen high school kids. They've seen adults with education. And those people are miserable and confused and worried all the time. It's not like that in kindergarten. Now, what would you say to a person like that? Is that healthy? No, of course not. If it's not okay to stay simple when it comes to grade school, why should we think it's okay to be simple in the ways of God? The second sleeper is named Sloth. Now, this person isn't dumb. They're lazy. They know that the line is coming. They can see the signs. What they don't have is urgency. Just a little more sleep, he says. What's the harm with a little nap? After all, there's no line right now. And the weather's nice and everything's fine. Calm down, let me sleep a little more. I promise I'll get up and I'll start walking right after I feel rested. But both you and I know that rested feeling will never come. This person isn't marshalling their energies to go charging down the road. They like sleep and they want to stay asleep. Notice this lazy person is right next to the stupid person. Different reasons, same result. This is the believer who knows what they should be doing, but doesn't do it. They know they should be attending church, or these days tuning into the live stream, doing their Bible reading and prayer time by themselves, serving people as best they can, changing their habits, seeking God, and they totally agree that this is all super important stuff, but they just don't want to. 
After all, what's the rush? They're in the middle of binging a series. There's a few more things to be done around the house. They'll get around to connecting with God right after they do a few things themselves. That person's going to get eaten by the lion too. The third sleeper is presumption. He says, every fat must stand upon its own bottom. Which is like a strange old-timey way of saying, I can stand on my own two feet. Or, everyone should just look out for themselves. Or, just mind your own business and I'll mind mine. The second definition of presumption is the one that's meant here. It means to be arrogant and disrespectful. Like if you walked up to someone you didn't know, reached into your pocket, pulled out a toothbrush, and shoved it in their mouth to help them with their bad breath. That is presumptive. Notice again, they're all in the same place. The stupid one, the lazy one, and the guy who thinks he doesn't need any help. They've all left the road, they've all fallen asleep, they've all been shackled together, and they're all going to get eaten by the prowling lion. Now what's this guy's deal? Well, he figures he knows more than everyone else. He'll fight the lion when it comes along, all by himself. He knows more about lions than anybody. He knows exactly how long to sleep. He knows how to get out of those shackles. He's already formulated a plan. This guy is arrogant. This is the Christian that thinks they don't need to go to church. They don't need to sit under an elder. They don't need to listen to good preaching. They don't need to go to a small group. They don't need an accountability partner. They don't need filters on their internet. They don't need anyone to help them with their budget. They don't need anyone to help them parent. They are perfectly capable of making all their own decisions by themselves, for themselves, having consulted the greatest minds possible, me, myself, and I. And if that's you, you are dumb and you are doomed. Christian is dumbfounded that he would walk up to three guys who have left the straight and narrow so soon after seeing the cross and have been shackled together where a hungry lion is prowling around, and they're fast asleep, and they won't let him help. I know that feeling, and I'm sure you do too. Maybe right now you're watching someone you love drive their life off a cliff. They're being stupid, or lazy, or arrogant, and it feels like there's nothing you can do. And in truth, there really isn't. Whether it's an addiction or adultery or divorce or being a workaholic, doing things that keep destroying their friendships, choosing terrible partners, whatever it is, sometimes the only thing that's going to set them straight is to meet the lion and feel his teeth on their neck. All we can do is pray that when they do, they won't be eaten up altogether. They just get mauled enough to learn the lesson that they'll never forget. Okay, next week we're going to stay in chapter 5. We're going to talk about formalist and hypocrisy. I hope you join me. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you heard something interesting. Remember, you can find all the interesting links, more episodes, the contact me button, all the social media links, and the link to the new private Discord server, and a bunch of other good stuff, like my free books, on the new and improved website at artofthechristianninja.com. This podcast is supposed to come out every Friday evening, and I've added a bunch of new times to my Twitch streams. I'm on there basically at noon, five days a week, Sunday to Thursday, and there's always something interesting going on. On Sundays, we do the live Q&A. On Thursdays, I give a little sermon devotional before we play the games, and we're still doing games night on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Those are all Eastern Standard Time. If you appreciate what I'm doing here, you want to show support, there are a few things you can do. First, and most importantly... Please share, 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 share. The social media algorithms hate Christian stuff, so if you don't share it, no one sees it. 
And second, if you want to go that extra mile, it would be amazing if you would check out my Al's 3D printer business on Etsy, or click the donation button on the website and give me a one-time or monthly gift. My dream right now is to do this full-time, but I can only keep the ministry growing and the content flowing with support from listeners like you. Thank you again, have a great week, and I'll talk to you Sunday at noon Eastern Standard Time.